Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You can go ahead and assume the energy level on tonight's show is going to be wherever it always is, times about two. Because I'm here, and I can hear myself in Monica Minot's headphones, so she should definitely turn me down. <laughs> but she's here as well. What's up, Monica? Monica McNutt filling in for Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I've I've set you up already to bring the energy. Oh, totally. And now I'm trying to make sure I'm turning the right knobs. Is this better or worse? <laughs> <laughs> this is so much pressure rolling with you, Sarah Day. It is. I mean, I just wanted to call you out right off the top. So, also, I think we all know one of me is enough. I don't know that we need me and surround sound echoing throughout the show. Uh, let's just make this straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Because I'm giving you the straight talk about Monica said. Phones. Uh, I'm super excited you're here because we're going to get into lots of hoops tonight. Uh, WNBA draft stuff with the China Robinson, obviously Jamal Murray and that devastating injury. We'll get into that now. And also Adam Mares, the host of Lockdown Nuggets, going to join us. Ron Rivera, head coach of the Washington football team, coming on to talk about yet another women's careers in football forum success. And Courtney Cronin, who was on last night, giving some very personal insight about what's going on in Minneapolis, going to join us with an update on those postponed games and everything else. So we got a big show. And let's start with Jamal Murray because... You know, Monica, this is so disappointing in part because this big picture view we often have with the NW, uh, with the NBA is we enjoy the regular season, but we're constantly pushing the dude in the postseason. And now we don't get to see this Nuggets team that's won 17 of 20 and looks like they got everything going once they added Gordon actually do it in the postseason. A hundred thousand percent. Now, this is the... Injuries suck, right? And I think literally any basketball fan was crushed when this news came down earlier today about the ACL. But I will say, I did already have a conversation with a friend. If there's any way that this team still stays in contention and can finish top four in the West, then the MVP case for Nikola Jokic goes bonkers. In oh, my 100%. Opinion, right? Yeah. Like, that to me is the only silver lining. And I know... So many people already are pointing to Michael Porter Jr. and Will Barton and uh, Facundo Campazzo and, and all those guys. I think you got to give this team a second to digest because, yes, anytime someone goes down, it obviously becomes a by committee thing. But this is also a league of stars. And that would be one hell of a committee if they could make up for mm-hmm. what you lose in Jamal Murray. I mean, he's. One of the what was he? He was just on the top twenty-five, under twenty-five, inside of the top ten from our guys as they were ranking talent and potential. And man, this one stinks, man. I I hate this. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, uh, listen, if you can get those guys that everybody's naming that you just named to step up, and Michael Porter Jr. suddenly becomes like more of a two than a three, and he's really stepping into his power and. It'd be a great story. I just don't see it happening. And yeah. Zach Lowe talked about it on his emergency low post podcast today. He said it about as plainly and, and unfortunately with as much fatalism as you can get. Without Murray now, they are, they are not a contender. In that sense, their season is over. Even though they have two good backup point guards, Monte Morris and Facundo Campazzo, they'll probably be an underdog in the first round. Not, not an easy out, but, but winning a championship, getting out of the West, it's not going to happen without Jamal Murray. Or if it does, I would be beyond, beyond, beyond blown away. And it's a reminder of how fragile the NBA is, how precious any chance to win it all really is. And that's not to say that the Nuggets are going anywhere. They are not. Jokic just turned 26. 26. Murray just turned 24. And if you know this dude is coming back stronger, not just strong, stronger. Michael Porter Jr. is 22. He is in his NBA infancy. Aaron Gordon is somehow just 25. 
It does make you feel better, Monica, to hear how young they are and to be reminded of the future. And she's Monica, not Sarah Spain, Spain and Fitz. But it's just the, the, the window of, of any of these teams changes so quickly where you assume that everybody's taking the same steps going forward. And that's just not the case, right? So this season in particular, you got a Clippers team that we still don't have proof of concept that they can make it all happen mm-hmm, in the postseason. Mm-hmm. you got a Lakers team that looks like world beaters except for the fact that their two best players have been injured and will continue to be injured, and they don't have depth. So we don't know how that's all going to look when it gets together. You've got a Jazz team that, as great as they've looked, have problems that you don't know if they're going to carry over to them being able to take on some big twos and threes in, in the postseason. So it's, it's wide open for a team, especially if Murray got into that bubble Murray mode, mm-hmm. where you could actually see them making sort of a, a run against those... You know, teams that feel unbeatable. And now that's not the case. And who knows what it looks like next year or the year after. I agree with you. Now, you and I both, we appreciate words and details. And there's a couple of words that Lowe used in that bite that kind of stand out to me. One, fragile. Like, so success is just such a fragile concept. You're literally one injury away, as we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. But I also, my ears perked up a little bit at underdog. Because I think even though statistically, this Denver Nuggets team were by record and statistics, quite honestly, this year has been surprising. To me, I'm still hesitant on, and not just the Nuggets, but the Jazz as well, and certainly the Phoenix Suns, I'm still hesitant on whether or not they have enough experience and fortitude to go up against some of the traditional Titans in the West. Mm -hmm. Like, even if somehow we saw Denver-Portland, I'm a little, I'm shaking in my boots yeah, a little bit. I didn't even mention Portland. You know what I mean? Right. right? But that's what's interesting about it is I think the only team is a healthy Lakers that I can say with certainty they are far and away a number one to me. And it's Agreed. really hard to beat them. That's what's fascinating about the rest of the West. I, I agree with you there. I, I, I put a healthy and mentally coherent and cohesive Clippers unit up there just because I think Kawhi. No, no, I'm out on them. They burned me too many times, Monica. Okay. It's it's Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and the Clippers. I have a rule now. (laughs) I'm just never going to pick against them because every time I do, they make me look stupid. I and I, I feel you on that, and this is why you you didn't let me get my caveat in of like also mentally coherent and healthy because I think uh, last year they just weren't mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah. It's not just about physical for them, and and is Ty Lue suddenly the the coaching whisperer that can stir this pot just right as opposed to what we're seeing Doc do over in the West, like I mean over in the East, excuse me, what actually was the problem last year? But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, success is super fragile, particularly in this Western Western Conference standings. Um, Low nails it in terms of the future of it. But in terms of having an opportunity, opportunity to do something really special this year in terms of knocking off a perceived West Coast giant, I mean, obviously, that's gone. I just, I don't see it. It's, yeah. it's tough. It's Spain and Fitz, Monica McNutt, filling in for Fitz here on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN NBA insider, was on SportsCenter talking about this Murray injury and what it means for the team. Well, short-term and long-term, uh, L in Denver. This was a team that rightfully so, you know, thought it had a window here to compete for an NBA championship, to win the West, get to the NBA Finals. They were playing as well as anybody in the league since that Gordon uh, trade. And, and now you take away their second-best player and look around the Western Conference. Take away Anthony Davis in L.A. or Paul George or Rudy Gobert. You know, your ceiling as a team changes. This is still a team, you talk to people in Denver, that you know, believes it could win a first-round series with Nikola Jokic, more uh, bigger role for Michael Porter Jr. But this was a team that thought it could compete for a title. And remember, you know, an ACL injury, this is going to take 
uh, Jamal Murray into next season. And so he won't be ready for the start of next year. How soon does it take him to get back to his old self? You know, a long-term impact for an organization that has done everything right in building a championship contender. Mm, And that's the bummer. And you have to hope that this is something he recovers from and gets back to full strength. For some reason, it just popped into my head, the Chicago Bulls and Derrick Rose, and how it felt like they were on the precipice of something until that injury. And then it was just an unraveling after that. And you hope that's not the case. They, of course, have an MVP on that team in Jokic. But the building towards something when you're facing teams that have these super conglomerates of stars – this is certainly a pause button for, for Denver, and that's a bummer. We'll get into more of that. Talk to a, a, a host of a, of a Nuggets podcast coming up to get some more insight from the local scene. That was Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Sarah Spain, Monica McNutt with you on Spain and Fitz. Uh, quickly, I'm going to throw up something on Twitter. We saw today, we talked about this on oh, yeah. Around the Horn, mm-hmm. that uh, the Saints head coach, Sean Payton, is going to be played by Kevin James. Uh, of, of many things, one of them, Paul Blart, <laughs> Mall Cop, uh, in a new Adam Sandler movie, which had us thinking which actors would be the best to play other coaches in the league. So we're going to do a division at a time, and we'll start uh, by, by throwing up the other members of the NFC South. So I'll throw it up on Twitter now, at Sarah Spain, at McNutt Monica, and you can give us your takes on that. We'll pay that off later. Coming up, Adam Mayer's host of Locked on Nuggets podcast. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Fitz is still out. He'll be back on Thursday. We're off tomorrow. Monica McNutt hanging out with me today on ESPN Radio. And guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We're going to head there now where Adam Mayers, the host of the Lockdown Nuggets podcast, joins us. Adam, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me on. I'm so sorry to have you in these circumstances. Uh, I I (laughs) feel like uh, you've probably spent the day uh, mining your own grief for something, and I'm just wondering if you can give us sort of the state of of fandom uh, out in the Denver area right now. Well, I haven't gotten out of bed yet. Um, You know, even though it's... (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) You know, it's one of those things where, you know, we were having snowstorms three weeks ago. It's been sunny. It's like spring is here. Everything feels great, and all of a sudden the clouds are back. Mm. The snow is even back. (laughs) We're going backwards, but... Um, no, yeah, tough week for, for Nuggets fans, tough week here in Denver. As I put this out on Twitter, I think Sunday I was more optimistic about the Denver Nuggets than I think I had been at any point in my life. Mm. Just sort of the trajectory they were on, eight-game winning streak, Aaron Gordon looking phenomenal, um, and it all came crashing down just so quickly. Golly, it did. Okay, so I don't. I, what's the next question, though, Adam? Do we want to go with the next step forward? Do I want to go with the the literal player who gets tapped first to try to begin to fill into this absence? Mm. I mean, how, how have you? What was the first step one in processing this horrible news? Man, that's a really good question, and and I think it's still sort of in that that processing phase. But I think when you look at okay, what makes the Nuggets interesting? You know, what keeps them interesting from this point forward? The emergence of Michael Porter Jr. over the last, I'll say, seven weeks of the season, he's been putting up incredible numbers, 20 points per game, almost 10 rebounds, incredible efficiency, shooting the three ball really well, and really started to, you know, it it had been a slow process with him sitting out his first year and then his rookie season not really getting a ton of minutes. It had been a slow process, but I think he's a guy that was really starting to turn heads and I think was going to become one of those names that, really emerged around NBA circles in the coming weeks. And I think that process now, you know, all eyes turn to him now. He goes from being a number three guy who's 
efficient and all these different things to now all of a sudden, hey, if the Nuggets are going to survive this and, and become a, uh, you know, a, a team to, to fear in the playoffs, Michael Porter Jr. has to become an all-star caliber player. And I'm very curious to see if he's capable of doing that on such short order. Monica, I believe step one is acceptance. Uh, that's, uh, that's you're right. You that's are right. usually that's step wisdom. one, and then figuring out who's filling in. Adam Mayer's host of Locked On Nuggets podcast is with us here on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline as we react to the news that Jamal Murray has torn his ACL, and this takes the team from being contenders in many's eyes to to no longer really having a shot. Adam, do you feel like you could see a path for them to contend with the best in the West without Murray? It, it's really tough, you know, to be realistic about that. I think, you know, with Murray, I, I certainly think that they were real contenders, not fringe contenders, not if everything breaks right and they get hot. I, you know, I think they were a team that their best shot would have gone up with just about anybody in the in the NBA's best shot. I think you look at it now and, you know, they've got real holes and real concerns, and I think they're a team that on their best night can give teams like the Nets, the Lakers, the 76ers, you know, they can give them a hard time, but – can they consistently do that? There's so much to their identity now that goes out the window, and in a lot of ways, they're a team that has to reinvent themselves. This identity that they have forged over, really in earnest over the last three or four seasons, yeah. that identity, the Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic two-man game, you know, that goes out the window, and now it's what is the next step? Can you find a new identity? Can you maintain that identity with players like Monte Morris or Facundo Campazzo? I doubt it. And if not, can you forge a new identity now with Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon stepping up in the pecking order? And those guys, I think, are talented enough to do it. But, you know, we have 18 games left in the, in the season. That's really not a lot of time for you to completely re- uh, reinvent yourself. So that, that's the part that makes me think probably more fringe contender than real contender. Hmm. Oh, man. I, I love that phrase. It was true contender versus real contenders or whatever. I heard a podcast talking about that last week. Okay, but look, you did mention a name that I think is interesting. And the toughest part, obviously, is the timing. There's not a ton of time, as you said, to create an identity. But Aaron Gordon, we were thrilled about that addition to this squad. Now, of course, oh. that was before the injury. Is is there a world in which, I mean, I know that essentially they play different positions, but this is a really talented guy on both sides of the ball. Is there a world in which some compensation is there with that addition? It's just so different. You know, Jamal yeah. Murray is as a volume scorer. I think what Aaron Gordon brings is elite defense inside. Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Paul George. He, he's been great against those guys all season, and especially since joining the Nuggets. So I think defensively, Denver gets a boost against teams like that. But what made Denver special was their offensive, the offensive side of the ball, and just having a two-man game that was – in my opinion, unguardable. And we saw that last year against Utah and against the Clippers. You know, they could score with anybody. And I think you take that out. Can you expect Aaron Gordon to make up for that offensive punch? Probably not. Defensively, certainly certainly elevates him. But I think he becomes, you know, certainly his offense is going to become more important. Since arriving in Denver, I think he's taking something like eight shots per game. You know, pretty low volume. That number will go up. But my attention just turns to Michael Porter and says, you know, this is a guy that has been shooting, I think, on the season 44, 45% from three. Really, really efficient. Can he become a 25-point-per-game score instead of 20? I think he's the guy that becomes the most interesting one, and Aaron Gordon fills in as sort of that third guy, an elite role player, elite defender, to try to keep them afloat. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Monica McNutt tonight filling in for Fitz. We're talking to Adam Mayers of the Locked on Nuggets podcast. You know, there's so much conversation about Michael Porter Jr. and how he's just not super likable. Oh, boy. 
I'm mm. right. Um, oh, so boy. to dip a little toe in those waters, uh, does this potentially thrust <laughs> him into more of a leadership position where he can prove himself to teammates and fans, or does it make it all the more difficult for him to have a bigger role when there is that tension? Well, I think what, what works for him is, you know, people are going to start to get to know his personality, myself included. You know, I mean, he's only been in the league now basically t- two years where he's been speaking with media. And I think to his credit, he's a guy that has always been the best player on his team. And he's been an, a YouTube sensation since he was in eighth grade. You can find videos of him dunking and shooting threes in seventh, eighth grade. You know, he's accepted being the third player on this roster. And I think that you know, it's underrated how difficult that is for a top prospect to sort of buy into the role. We're seeing this in Golden State uh, with Wiseman, you know, coming into a team that has expectations and saying, hey, you're not going to shine the way you want to. you gotta, you got to fit into a role. And he's done that. But what's so weird about the situation is he goes from accepting a lower role to all of a sudden, oh, no, now we need you to actually be the right. star. We right. kind of broke you from <laughs> wanting to proving. be. Thanks for proving you can do that. Now <laughs> we need the reverse. Snap back. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Exactly. And so I think, you know, he definitely will, will be thrust into the spotlight. And I think we'll all get to see a little bit more of his personality. He's a very driven player. You look at his skill set. The front office will say he's one of, if not the hardest worker on the team. And, and I think some of those characteristics and traits get a chance to take center stage now. Yeah, that'll certainly help fans get to like him a, a little bit more. Adam, we're out of time here. Uh, you're going to have to go grieve to others, um, but we appreciate you offering some insight. And good luck. I mean, it would be a hell of a story if they somehow cobble it together Man. and still make a deep run, and maybe somebody has the kind of Murray bubble performance that he had last season, somebody else. Uh, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. Great therapy session for me. I appreciate it. I'm glad we could do that for you, Adam. Glad we could, glad we could help. Um, I wanted more tears, to be honest, but you know what? Next time. Uh Monica, it's just, it is a real bummer. And having been there before, like I said, with the Derrick Rose situation, I think that's the one that stands out most to me when you kind of are putting things together and it just stops. Um, but will be interesting to see what the team, Michael Porter Jr. and others who need to step up, will do in the face of this adversity and add some intrigue to a very, very interesting Western Conference. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Monica McNutt in. And Ron Rivera, head coach of the Washington football team, My joins guy. us next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Monica McNutt filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can find sometimes pre- and post-party digital-only content and anything you missed from the show on the ESPN app, Apple, iTunes, wherever you get your pods. Uh, Big, exciting guest to have back. We always love when he comes on the show. It's Washington football team head coach Ron Rivera. And coach, the news yet again today that you're joining us for, which I love, is that the NFL Women's Careers and Football Forum strikes again as far as you finding some new talent. Uh, you've hired a new coordinator of football programs, Natalia Durantes, sort of a chief of staff role reporting directly to you. So tell me how you found her and, and about another success from this forum. Well, you know what's interesting is um, when I got the job last year, she was recommended me by an, by a scout, excuse me, by an agent, Mike McCartney, out of uh, Chicago. And she said, you know, is this somebody put on your radar? I said, okay. So then this year, he recommended to her to me again and told me she's going to be on, on the Women's and Football Forum, and she'll be on, she'll be on one, of your, uh, one of your chats. I said, oh, okay. So what happened was um, she's on the chat. Uh, Roger Goodell and Mrs. Goodell were talking about some things, um, and she started DMing me. So I, you know, I kind of followed up with her uh, after a while, and we started talking about these different things. And 
and really was impressed with, with just, you know, who she is and, and, and her attitude and the way she looks at things. I was on the Zoom kind of uh, not participating, of course, but as an observer for a couple hours during the forum and just incredible questions being asked. And I loved some of the stories that came out of coaches immediately responding to people after questions and saying, we need to talk like there's I, I see something in here. What was it about, um, you know, Natalia, that that made you think she's ready for the job right now? And here's where I want to Slater. Well, I think the biggest thing, more so anything else, is is not just her personality and 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 how direct she was, how forward she was, but her thinking, the way she looked at things. And and one thing that I found is, you know, ever, ever since you know, talking with my wife, who coached in the WNBA, who coached collegiately, you know, I get a different perspective. Hmm. And so, you know, hiring Jennifer King a couple of years ago gave me another perspective. Um, you know, we have Diana Heimowitz who works in our operations department. Uh, who was part of the forum a couple of years ago as well, she gives me different perspectives. So with Natalia listening to her and her ideas and coming from the college scene and dealing with, you know, some of the situations, circumstances you have with these young players, I thought, you know, I'm going to get somebody that's going to have a little bit of insight in how to work and communicate with these young people as well. So that was the thinking behind bringing her in. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, talking to head coach Ron Rivera of the Washington football team. Natalia Duranta is the new coordinator of football programs, the first Latina to ascend to that role, and just the third woman, Callie Bronson of the Browns and Sarah Hogan of the Falcons, the only women to hold those roles across the league. Uh, talk to me about that, too. I mean, you, you, you come from the perspective of one of the few minority coaches in the NFL, and to add to that, a, another voice that represents the uh, Latinx in, in football, uh, I'm sure, is also great for you. It is, you know, and, and again, I didn't do it with that intent. Um, that's kind of one of the uh, one of the positive things that has come out of this. Um, but what I did was, you know, by 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 getting involved in the women's forum, it's helped me to realize that, you know, when you start looking for candidates, if 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 you're not including everybody, if there's no inclusion, you're not you haven't broadened your pool of candidates. You've limited them. So by doing that, what I've done is I've opened it up and I found some very interesting candidates. And I found some people that most certainly do deserve it because of the work they put in it, their attitudes, their effort to get into the, into the business and how important it is. So that's really the thought process behind it. Yeah, and I love that perspective, Coach, because we talk about that across everything from race to ethnicity to religion to gender identity. If if you're not open to all human beings that can help your squad, then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage against other teams that are. You never know where that talent's going to come from, and that's why this forum has been so useful in the NFL, really upping the numbers of women participating across various roles in the NFL. Coach Ron Rivera with us here on Spain and Fitz Air Spain on ESPN Radio. Um, you know, I still marvel at last year – your team being a playoff team with everything that, that went on, you know, you, you've got to deal with injuries, uh, quarterback switches, cancer treatments, the name change, lawsuits, all this stuff. And now you're facing another big hurdle in terms of the quarterback situation. Alex Smith had a couple things to say on the way out. He's not going to be there. What are your thoughts as you approach the upcoming season with a question mark there? Well, our biggest thing, you know, we, we wanted to get somebody that was a veteran guy. Uh, that's why Fitzpatrick was, was such a was such a, a positive situation for us in terms of going after him. You know, really appreciate everything that Alex had done for us. You know, I, I know he had the comments with, 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 with uh, GQ magazine, and he and I had an opportunity to sit down and talk about it and be very frank. But he was outstanding. And I told him, I said, you know, to be honest with you, I don't disagree with, with some of your concerns. Hmm. I mean, because I didn't know what to expect, and I really didn't. It was It was a very – 
difficult situation, not understanding, you know, the injury and, 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 and the infection he had. So I think part of it was just, you know, the, the lack of the communication, which I told him, hey, that falls on me as much as anybody. And he was great. And, and we cleared the air and, you know, and he wanted his release. We granted his release and you know, wished him well because, you know, he's a big part of why we had success last year. I do not envy you, and I remember saying that and thinking as I was watching the game as he went in for the first time, I don't envy his opponents, his teammates, his coaches, his family. It's just it was so tense to see him back out there, and I don't blame you at all for having a lot of question marks about what exactly it would look like when he got back to football. turned out to be an incredible story, and now you end up, I have to admit, as a Bears fan, I'm just jealous of any team that gets Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's so fun. Beyond, you know, the yeah. game the game, and, and, the, and the actual play and some of the incredible uh, comebacks and, and, and wins that he's gotten, just a leader and, and a fun person to watch succeed. Uh, so you're going to have a good time there. But obviously, uh, leaves you pretty open for the draft, too. How's the prep this year? Does it feel a little bit more normal after last year where you were restricted in your ability to, to meet with players and everything? Or, or is it still kind of a, a hiccup in trying to to get to know these guys no you know what because i think everybody's gotten so comfortable with zoom um now we're able to do the 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 meetings we don't do them in person but we get to do them you know uh over over zoom we get a chance to spend some time with them and and so we've taken advantage of that so you know our our, our scouts our coaches have done a nice job with it um you know and, and that's one of the difficult parts but other than that i think it's gone very well you know, we, we did some good things in free agency. I think because we did the things we did in free agency, we opened up uh, any possibility at any position. So we're pretty excited about getting ready for the draft. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain on ESPN Radio, talking to Ron Rivera, head coach of the Washington football team. Which, by the way, Washington football team, that might stick. We're hearing that maybe people are into just keeping it as it is. What's your take? Have you been – I mean, if I were coaching there, I would be just steady streaming names. Every time something popped into my head, I'd be be (laughs) post-it notes all over the door of the owners just like, here's what I think. Oh, yeah, believe me. There's so many positive things that have come out there. And, you know, I will say this. I I love our approach to it. I think Jason Wright and his team have done a tremendous job, um, you know, working with some consultants, trying to find the right situation, the right names. You know, we're, we're consulting so many different groups. We've got so many different folks involved. Um, and, and really what we're trying to do is come up with, with a name that represents, you know, not just our, us, our city, uh, our area, you know, but the whole area and our fan base. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of incredible to have such a storied franchise in a league that's so old and to get a fresh slate, kind of. Um, and so the pressure of, like, let's get it right, and you know you're going to hear it from social media, whatever you choose, yeah. even if it's great. Uh, so just add that on top of everything else you're dealing with, Coach. Um, how are you feeling, by the way? I, I meant to start off with that. Uh, we heard so much about it, of course, during the season, and now we're not checking in with you on a daily basis. So uh, how how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Thank you for asking. You know, I, I'm, I'm going into my six month of recovery. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to believe. Um, but I had uh, I had my three month checkup uh, January 28th and everything came up negative, which was outstanding. That's you know, the, 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 the doctor declared me cancer free. And now it's just a matter of my recovery and, and continue to do my follow ups so that, uh, you know, we make sure everything keeps going the way it's supposed to. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. 
Um, and, you know, take that, at least a little bit of that off the plate as you're heading towards the draft and everything else. And a, l- a bunch of new people in new positions on the team. Um, so lots for lots for you to be in charge of. And I know you put they put a lot on your shoulders last year to take over and and start some stuff fresh. So uh, it's it's been really fantastic to watch you kind of make uh, the things that are meant to be in your image and in your control, uh, uh, your own on this team. Appreciate the time as always and, and really looking forward to hearing more of these great stories coming out of the football forum whether it's jennifer king or natalia um coach the diversity that's represented on your team is a model for the rest of the league and we really appreciate you continuing to advocate for that well thank you sarah appreciate it always good stuff from coach ron rivera and love when when he wants to come on with us and talk about cool stuff like hiring a new female chief of staff ron rivera on spain and fitz brought to you by goodyear helping you discover the road ahead goodyear more driven Coming up, Mark Cuban and Luka Doncic speaking out about the play-in. Is it just because it's affecting them, or do they have a point? We'll get into that, plus Steph passing Wilt coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's already a condensed season in the NBA. They're playing more games closer together, a little bit more difficult to rest superstars for the playoffs. Add into that the play-in concept that they're doing again this season that involves the seven and eight seeds playing, one game to decide who gets the seventh, the nine and ten seeds playing to see who faces off against the eight seed uh, for that final spot. And a lot of people would argue this prevents you from the tanking and maneuvering that goes on at the end to avoid facing a specific team. Others would tell you it's a bad idea. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain with you as always. Monica McNutt filling in for Fitz tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Monica Right now we're hearing some consternation about this specifically from members of the Mavs because they happen to be in a position where they're particularly affected by it. Mark Cuban said in some messages to ESPN, I get why the NBA is doing it, but if we're going to be creative because of COVID, we should go straight up 1-20 to and let the bottom four play in. This is the year particularly to do it since the 10 games cut were in conference. The worst part of this approach is that it doubles the stress of the compressed schedule. Rather than playing for a playoff spot and being able to rest players as the standings become clearer, teams have to approach every game as a playoff game to either get into or stay in the top six since the consequences are enormous, so players are playing more games and more minutes in fewer days. I was sort of unsure of how I felt until I read that this morning. I think he makes a pretty good case there. Okay. At the... Spain, Spain, (laughs) Uh Spain, Spain. At the end of... Okay, this to me... Okay, start with one sentence and then... I know, right? I'm trying to get my voice... I just have so many things to say (laughs) on this. All right, here's the deal. This to me sounds like the NBA has become victims of of its own structure and success previously. Just because the system has been set up in a way in the past that allows you to rest your teams, yada, 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 and now you're whining. Well, first of all, if this team, in particular the Dallas Mavericks, had handled their business the first, what, 20 games of the season, this may be less of a conversation for them. I'm not saying that Mark Cuban doesn't have a point. But the idea that all of a sudden this is the first time that we thought of these points, yeah, right, Cuban, get out of here. Like, part of it, part of this it's affecting them. (laughs) Exactly. Part of this structure was exactly for all the things that he's just, he's pointing out as a negative, that we still have competitive ballgames down the stretch and teams Mm -hmm. are playing because it means something. So now you mad because it applies to you? Like, we're not going to do this. We're just not going to do this. And worth noting, uh, Mark Cuban, who's part of the NBA Board of Governors, was a part of a group that unanimously approved this proposal to have a play-in tournament after they used it for the first time in the bubble last year. So uh, now he thinks it's a mistake in hindsight. Of course, 
course, that could very well be because Dallas is in seventh place, so they would have to participate in it, and he probably thought they might be in a better a better spot. I could absolutely see both sides of it. I think you don't want to devalue the regular season by making an entire season's worth of effort come down to a one or two game play in situation. But I also understand their desire to make you keep playing down the stretch and not be able to do a lot of resting or manipulating to try to get a matchup that you favor. Um, so I, I understand both sides. Now, Luka Doncic, the guard for the maps, was the first to speak out about it today. Here's what he said. Obviously, we're trying to get this six hit. Uh... I don't understand the idea of playoff playing. You play 72 games uh, to get in the playoffs, and then maybe you lose two in a row and you're out of the playoffs. Uh, so I don't see the point of that. But uh, we're just trying here to get to the sixth spot, and I think that's our goal right now. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a team that, of course, wants to rest Kristaps for back-to-back games and Doncic for sometimes back-to-backs. This is a team, like you mentioned, that started off a little slow, and now they're trying to play catch-up, which is partly why they're in this situation to face a potential play-in. You could sway me either way, and over the course of the day, and I did around the horn today, and I didn't win, so it was rigged, um, (laughs) I had to decide a side on this, and I'm still sort of torn. Like, I understand the goal that they're doing, and I do think it adds some excitement, but for me... And and Izzy Gutierrez pointed this out. Um, there are a lot of teams, if they aren't in the position of, say, a Wizards this year or like a Timberwolves a couple years ago, where it's been a long time since they were a playoff team, making that last slot might not be worth it as opposed to being a potential lottery pick. Uh, wow. Okay, that adds a little bit more gravitas to the argument. However, and maybe this is me because I cover college NBA, like the whole gambit. Win, just win, win ball games, right? Like I just, <laughs> I'm struggling to jump up and down. Like and Luca himself, remember Luca was top three in terms of the odds of MVP candidates, and he said at one point when the Mavs were stinking up the joint, like he shouldn't even be on that list. Like hmm. so, to particularly coming from Dallas with all of the talent, and you have an MVP MVP caliber guy, and Chris Stapps was obviously dealing with injuries at the beginning of the season. Particularly from Dallas, I have a short fuse when it comes to this, because this was a team that was supposed to be much better than they had been to start the season. In general, uh, being 10th versus having an opportunity to land a lottery pick, it's funny enough, we talked about this on the jump the other day, and Wendy pointed this out, for the Knicks in particular, I think the Knicks being in 10th under the new playoff format, if they finish there, means that they're back in the playoffs for the first time since, what, 2013, I believe? Um, and he said, you know, they should win, be in the playoff position, maybe lose a game and still be in a position to get a high draft pick. Okay, fine. I I struggle with the visionary piece as opposed to working with what you have in front of you, unless you are absolutely a bottom feeder team, which means you won't be in the 10 anyway. Um, yeah. So to me, play ball. Let's go. Well, and they obviously have tried to affect the, the lottery percentages in order to dissuade people from aiming for that, too. Um, it is harder. It's less likely to be the worst and necessarily have it mean that you're going to get the top pick. So they're they're certainly attempting to, to, to make it for fair play across the length of the season, start to finish. Um, not everyone's going to agree with how they're doing it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with you, as always. Monica McNutt filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. Don't forget the NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night as the Nets visits the Sixers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. Uh, Monica, last night we uh, talked to Nick Friedel before the Warriors game, and we had a feeling Steph Curry was going to put up some big numbers and pass Wilt Chamberlain for the all-time franchise point scorer. It's a great honor, and I love the way he's handled it with a lot of deference to Wilt. Um, A lot of people maybe not pointing out some interesting statistics involving this, um, which include the fact that he did it in twice as many games (laughs) and that Wilt (laughs) averaged uh, twice as many points per game. Um, 
So he had five, a little over five seasons with the Warriors. Wilt averaged 41 points a game on 50% shooting and 25 boards. They didn't even record blocks back then. Um, <laughs> so Wilt averaged twice as many points. Uh, Steph would need to average over 45 per game in his next 300 games to catch Wilt's career total wow. within the same amount of time that Wilt did it. And so it got us on conversation on ATH about, you know, who changed the game more. And I still think we've, we're yet to see the full effects of Steph. He's obviously influenced a lot of young, smaller guards to say we could take over games in a way that doesn't require being a big man. Uh, they might even change the three-point line because of him. But with with Wilt, they widened the free-throw line. They made changes to inbounding the ball, to offensive goaltending. They banned dunking from the free-throw line, which was apparently a thing That's he would do crazy. regularly. That's like crazy. They changed rules for him just because the game has shifted. I don't know if I could point to Steph Curry quite the same individually as the way Wilt was a unicorn back in his day. I'd have to agree with you. Um, and, and this is not taking anything away from Steph. But we'll never get another Wilt Chamberlain. I, we've, we've already seen that Steph as a formula for a type of player has been duplicated. And so, mm-hmm. uh, n- not to Steph's level, but, you know, you got Trey, you got Dame, and Dame probably is more of his peer than a duplication. But we've seen plenty of small guards that have been able to emulate what Steph has done. And so, I mean, I think Wilt's records are Wilt's records. They're made to be broken, but some things will never be broken. Um, and so right. I still would give the edge to Wilt in terms of who changed the game more. And I think, you know, with with Wilt uh, obviously doing it in a much shorter time with a higher concentration doesn't take away from what Steph's done. He still means more to that franchise in terms of titles and everything else. So that's always something to keep in mind just because you're comparing effect on a franchise. Uh, five and a half years versus 12-plus seasons is a little bit Ooh, different. Yeah. Um, but they've both changed the game. And that's kind of what a really cool and fascinating thing there is to say about the game of basketball, that you could be like a 7-1 speedster versus a 6-2 guard, and both of you could completely manipulate the way the people around you play and what the goals are. Um, Steph did say if Wilt had had three-pointers the same way, he would have figured it out, which would have been fun to watch. Uh, Courtney Cronin going to join us next as sports resume today in Minneapolis. Give us an update on all of that. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy Tuesday. Sarah Spain with you, as always. Monica McNutt hanging out tonight, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And last night's fill-in host joining us now to share some more about the situation in Minneapolis. We talked about it yesterday. NHL, NBA, MLB games all postponed as the city reacted to the death of Dante Wright an unarmed black man at the hands of Minneapolis police. Uh, This while the Derek Chauvin trial is ongoing. And Courtney Cronin lives right in the middle of all of it and has spent the afternoon talking about the postponed games, the remade games, and everything else going on in the area. Courtney, thanks for the time. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. It's been uh, been a crazy 24 hours. Yeah, so tell me, I mean, we left off last night. You were admittedly a little distracted during the show. You were under curfew in your house in an area very close to where George Floyd was was murdered. Um, What's happened since? So last night, um, there wasn't much that was happening in Minneapolis itself. Uh, A lot of businesses in the uptown area, as I was driving into Target Field, I live about six miles south of downtown, um, door-to-door from where I live to uh, the parking deck for Target Field. You could see Nicolette Mall. The whole area was boarded up, but it didn't look like anything got hit by protests last night. But obviously in Brooklyn Center, where this you know event took place, and, and the Brooklyn Center police officer that uh, shot and killed uh, Dante Wright 
you know, earlier this afternoon resigned from her post. Um, there were protests there. So, I mean, it was relatively quiet uh, where I was. I could hear helicopters around my, you know, felt like they were circling my building all night. I guess they were just in the area. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of a weird feeling. I'm, I'm staring out. I'm in Target Center right now. Uh, I'm staring out at Target Field, and it's snowing. Of course, it's April oh, in Minnesota, wow. so that's expected. <laughs> Um, but it's just, it's, it's a really eerie feeling because, you know, Stasha, our producer, showed me I was giving me a call. My watch is going off to alert me of another curfew that's happening tonight. And when you factor in the fact that, you know, the Derek Chauvin trial is going on, you know, point, you know, eight blocks from where we are currently downtown, um, you know, resources have to be divvied up in terms of security. That's something that Gerson Rosas told us about today, factoring into the decision of why the Wolves did not have fans in attendance for their game and, and the, you know, the twins obviously did, but it, it's just been a day of kind of, um, you know, kind of a somber day, certainly here at, at, at target center, obviously the, the wolves got blown out by the nets, but um, you know, just, just kind of a sad day. You can feel it, you know, throughout the city. Courtney, what are sort of the athletes saying, if anything today? I mean, I think when the news came across Yesterday, I know my point on around the horn was uh, Dante Wright is a twenty-year-old man. Anthony Edwards is nineteen. Like this is their contemporary, contemporary rather, um, who was tragically slain. So, what is the vibe around the players? What are they saying? Yeah, Josh Okogi, um, the Wolves guard, is probably one of the um, you know more prominent voices on social justice issues of any you know player of any major team in the Twin Cities, um, and you could just tell the exhaustion. Like we talked to him post game today, obviously they just got, you know, beaten by 40 points. So you're going to be tired anyways, but um, just wondering kind of like, all right, this happened, you know, George Floyd killing was 11 months ago. Okogi, Kyle Rudolph, um, you know, Eric Kendricks, a lot of players for the Vikings, you know, the twins, the, the Timberwolves, they all gathered together last summer to start, protesting to start bringing about social change and then 11 months not even 11 months later we're dealing with another uh shooting of an unarmed black person and you could just tell from a kobe it's just the exhaustion of like it sucks because you're dealing with this and it doesn't feel like anything's changing and trying not to i guess get jaded um you know to put it frankly in the moment where you have to keep fighting the good fight but it's really hard when you don't see changes happening when you keep pushing for change. And I think that that's the thing, you know, D'Angelo Russell kind of summed it up at the end tonight that you just have to kind of keep pressing forward, uh, using your platform, using what you can, whatever means you can, your voice uh, to, to try to help your community. And that's what, when you talk to the Timberwolves, um, that's what they felt like they had to do today. I mean, obviously the NBA, unlike other leagues is very much at the forefront of social justice and, you know, you'll have coaches being very outspoken about, you know, what happened and the decision to play. I mean, at least in, in the eyes of Timberwolves, that maybe it's a small part, but, you know, maybe you can give the community some relief. They needed some normalcy. Uh, and that was part of the reason that was factored into why they did play today. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you, Monica McNutt, filling in for Fitz tonight as we talk to ESPN reporter Courtney Cronin about the latest in Minneapolis. You know, Courtney, we talked to Gerson Rosas, the president of basketball ops for the Timberwolves last night, and he obviously put put forward, you know, an opinion that they were all in this together as a team, as staff, as a front office, and dealing with this and being on the forefront of having these important conversations. What about the other teams in Minneapolis? Does it mm. feel like 
that sustained energy that we felt for months at a time post-George Floyd is still reflected in the communications between coaches, owners, and players? Or are we sort of back to normal where it doesn't feel like there's an outlet to express that frustration? Well, um, you know, frankly, the team that I cover, the Minnesota Vikings, were the last team to put out a statement, yet they've been at the forefront of the social justice uh, fight here in Minneapolis. I was honestly a little surprised to see that, maybe just because they are in the off season um, and, and things really, you know, nobody's back together yet. Um, they're not in the middle of this, like the Twins and, and the Wild and the um, Timberwolves. But I was a little surprised to see that because they've been very vocal and very loud and very um, progressive in this. But, you know, when we talked to um, Rocco Baldelli pregame today, he had mentioned that you know, the Aaron, Aaron Hicks' decision uh, yesterday to, he's a former you know, outfielder for the uh, Minnesota Twins. I believe he was drafted by them uh, you know, in 2013. And now he plays for the Yankees. So obviously he, you know, the city means something to him. So he took himself out of the lineup yesterday. Apparently there weren't any Twins players that were considering not playing. It was more of a team decision from like higher ups of like, hey, this is why we're postponing it. Players understand the bigger message behind that. But um, he wants to have, you know, as a manager, he's like, I want people to be able to come to me and, and talk to me if there's obviously very upsetting incidences that keep happening, that players can have that open line of communication. So I do think that that's very genuine. Um, but, you know, it, you're right. I mean, I think that whole element of exhaustion uh, for this community is very much in play here because we're not that far removed from when George Floyd was killed and all of the events that took place last summer in the sports world, you know, getting in the mix of on that and, and trying to use its platform to further a cause of social justice, especially for people of color. And, you know, we're dealing with it, you know, not even a year later. I think that it's kind of tough to stomach because it feels like at points, at least from the people that we've spoken with today, that, when is it going to be enough? When is it actually mm-hmm. going to create change? Because mm-hmm. they just don't feel that tangible change yet when you see these things continuing to happen. Oh, man, Courtney, I mean, I know that you and, and Sarah also probably feel that sentiment. I mean, that's that's exactly it. Again, like this is already a city that is so raw. The eyes of the country are watching. And I'll be honest, I haven't followed the trial much because I don't have very much hope in our legal system when it comes to stuff like this. And uh, two lives were altered forever last night. It not just Dante Wright or not last night, excuse me, in this incident, Dante Wright, but also the officers. So. Very frustrating. I do applaud those athletes um, and leadership of those respective teams for acknowledging uh, what is going on and not acting as if those teams are immune to what's happening in that community, though. Yeah, I completely agree. And it certainly puts uh, this right back into focus, Courtney, because we've heard a lot of people pointing fingers at the NFL and other places. I mean, you, I think, saw me go off with Urban Meyer's attempt to hire someone who had been fired for racism mm-hmm. like five months earlier. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, so we're done with the thing, with the equality mm-hmm. and all the statements you're making? Yep. And I feel like Minneapolis hasn't had a chance to, to, to catch its breath. I hate to use that saying, but with with all of this, and now these these teams and these players are certainly being demanded to keep that same energy. Yep. Yeah, you're, you're right, and it's just like, you know, living up here through this, I was, you know, talking with a friend last night. This was the third time since May of, you know, 2020 that the city has been put under curfew. Um, mm-hmm. That's weird. And like, you know, the Chauvin verdict is apparently going to come next week. We're under curfew again tonight. I would anticipate, you know, this is my personal opinion. This doesn't feel like that's something that's going to go away anytime soon, just given how 
this is an already really raw wound that is nowhere near healed yet. And the city can't heal itself if it keeps having to kind of backtrack. Um, you know, this is not, these are not the only two events too. I mean, Philando Castile was not that yep. long ago. Um, and it's a city where if you look around the Midwest, a lot of these incidences have happened in the greater metro area of the Minneapolis, St. Paul area. It's tough. And you got to kind of ask yourself, um, like, why does it keep happening here? And and what can you possibly do? But it's just, it's exhausting. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's, you don't want to believe that there is, that the hope is gone. And I certainly think a lot of these athletes, like I really, I keep bringing up Josh Okogie, but he was so, like he came with facts today. He talked about a lot of things that he had researched about, you know, difference between tasers and guns and how police are trained to use that right. stuff. Like, I mean, these guys are like activists in their own right. Um, for, for wanting to, you know, spark change. It's just, it's just hard because it kind of feels like, well, you know, five steps forward and, and 10 steps back. Okay. But, um, you know, we are in the thick of it. And I think there's just too much going on. You have a trial for a police officer who was, uh, you know, seen on camera kneeling on the neck of, of a man who was unarmed and that person died. And then there's another incident that, you know, has similar, you know, uh, undertones to it taking place, you know, not even 11 months later. It's just a lot all at once. Well, we appreciate you giving us the context yes. and telling us about what's going on in the area. Courtney, hang in there. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Courtney Cronin with us here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, a crushing blow to a title contender and two days till draft night. The big conversation. I see people fighting about Emma Menchies. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. They're crushing this uh, coaching casting. If you go to at Sarah Spain, at McNutt, Monica, at Spain and Fitz, you can weigh in on the coaches uh, that we're asking for. We're going to go through all the coaches of the NFL. This is, of course, after we found out that Sean Payton would be played by Kevin James, Paul Blart Mulcop, in a new Sandler movie. So we asked for other coaches in the NFC South, and you're you're giving us some good ones. We'll pay off that question a little bit later in the show. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you. Monica McNutt filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get all the show stuff you miss every night, but also we sometimes do some pre-party or after-party content you can only get on the podcast so make sure you go subscribe we're presented by progressive insurance we started the show talking about the terrible news of jamal murray's acl tear you knew last night monica when you saw it that it was bad um they called it non-contact but i think when you contact the floor uh that's that's the only contact you need um and it was clear that he was in a, a terrible amount of pain now out for the rest of this year and a little bit into next year and I don't want to be cynical about their hopes because they clearly have an MVP on the team in Jokic and some other players that can step up. But to me, it's about that wall in front of you, and that's the Lakers. And betting on any team to defeat a LeBron James, Anthony Davis, two-headed monster um, was enough before this injury. I just don't see it anymore. I don't think that that's being cynical, though, Spain. I think that's being very matter-of-fact and... um ideas of grandeur like i get it oh, sh- could we have an instant disney movie in which right. michael porter jr and facundo Campazzo and will barton all of a sudden become this dynamic trio and Jokic is able to continue giving us triple doubles and aaron gordon is dunking on everybody and blocking all types of shots could that happen sure are the yeah. chances very slim yes so i don't think it's cynical i think it's very matter of fact and i love the sound we kicked the show off with low nailed it Success in this league is so fragile. I mean, mm-hmm. we are anticipating AD and LeBron coming back, 
But what if AD isn't quite all the way back? I mean, he's a big dude with a lower body extremity in- injury. Like, it's his foot. Let's be clear. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so I think your window, I shouldn't say window, because I do think that the window is still relatively healthy as far as windows yeah. go for the Nuggets overall. Very but in a particular team. season, it's a, it's fragile, man. Like, you you need some talent and some luck. Yeah, 100%. And timing. And that's the thing that's a bummer for me across any sport is you just can't necessarily replicate the magic of a team, whether Mm -hmm. that's roster changing, whether that's opponents changing. Um, You look at these windows to try to get it done. And, you know, at least with this team, the hope is they're young enough that they can maybe wait out LeBron. But who's to say who else comes calling and what other changes happen across the league? Uh, I remember, you know, a couple years ago as the Warriors were just dominating the league, um, hearing from, and I'm going to forget who it was. I want to say it was maybe the president of the Warriors at the time who said, you act like everybody else stays static. Everybody else is working to try to beat us. And it was much more prescient than he probably hoped at the time, right? Um, <laughs> because of the injuries that came to pass. Uh, they they certainly would have been believed to have a good shot at continuing that run, even with Kevin Durant gone with not the injuries to Clay and Steph and whatever. But that's what we always assume, sort of. We freeze everyone else in amber and look at a team, and that doesn't happen. So many things can change, and so it's a real bummer for, for, for the Nuggets to be in a spot, especially adding Gordon, where they've won 17 of 20. This is a guy in Murray who not only is sort of obviously the, the second punch to the one-two punch with Jokic, but also the fire of this team. Yeah. Jokic is a great dude, a facilitator. He can play both ends, it's all that stuff. But Murray had that killer instinct. We saw it in the bubble last year. He's averaged over 26 points a game in 19 playoff games. He's the finisher. He's the guy at the end. And that's what Brian Windhorst talked about on the jump today. Just Not just who he is as a player, but what he means to the team. Yeah. You can't replace is a guy who, in a 50-50 situation, fourth quarter, game five, 2-2, who can carry you home. And I know that Nikola Jokic has that ability, but we saw in the playoffs last year that Murray was a special player, a difference-making player. You can't replace mm-hmm. that in the playoffs. Yeah, that that's to me it. And Monica, you've watched more basketball than I have this year and more basketball than most people. And it's not to take that away from Jokic. He can take over games. It just feels different. There's a difference when you have that killer instinct guy with attitude and swag who can ki- kill with those daggers at the end. And ability, Sarah. And again, Jokic, triple-double machine, should be high in your right now currently still leading my MVP conversation. But the NBA in those late-game moments... So you're going to get a ball to your center 30 feet away from the basket and he's going to penetrate and then kick and the defense is just going to allow that to happen. Like there's a mobility to Jamal Murray's game. Mm -hmm. There's a dog, there's a nasty to him. Like shout out to X um, that you you just don't get from Jokic. Jokic is elite, but Jokic is not a closer. Uh, At least not in the sense of, all right, get his man the ball, clear out, he's going to make it happen, which again, we continue to see in the bubble last year. So this one's tough. um, But again, we go back to the great, Reporters who gave us great sound today. I'm with Lowe in that when we get to Jamal Murray's return, I look for him to come back better. Hungry. Absolutely. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you on ESPN Radio. Monica McNutt filling in for Fitz tonight. We're about to have LaChina Robinson join us to set us up a little bit for the draft in the NBA, uh, WNBA coming up on Thursday. But because of the young talent in it, Paige Backers and Caitlin Clark, like some of the names that we heard about so much in the tournament being so young, a lot of people heard for the first time about the WNBA rule that you have to be 22 to enter the draft. This is different than the men's side. It's for a number of reasons. One is there isn't that massive economic payout that's guaranteed if you're drafted in the WNBA. There's fewer teams and fewer roster spots, so you're entering a very crowded marketplace. We've seen some great college talent that can't find a role in the WNBA. 
And there's questions, though, about whether or not that should be up to these players to decide. We're going to have LaChina's take on it. What do you make of it, Monica? Um, I understand the rule. I do think that at 18, if you can go to the military, you should also have the choice to gamble on your future. What? Mm-hmm. I'm, not gamble, but you know what I mean. Like, right. if it doesn't pan out. Bet on then, yourself. Yeah, <laughs> bet on yourself if it doesn't pan out. And you know what? Actually, what would be interesting in the W is if that women's players could also t- test the market. There's not the same type of... Um, combine, but if there was something built in so that those young ladies could test it without officially canceling out their eligibility in college, maybe that's partly a solution. But I think more than anything, it's time for the league to really start looking at expanding so that there yeah. are more opportunities. Expansion is a huge part of it, and um, Kathy Engelbert, the the commissioner, did say that you know we'll look at this season, and if we have another successful year building off last year, we'll certainly be a priority for us. We're going to get into more of this. Also, how name, image, and likeness could play a part in making people feel better about this if the, if the rule remains. LaChina joins us to talk about it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Draft on Thursday. We have the night off tomorrow. We'll be back Thursday to get you ready for it. Might even have the number one pick on our show. You never know. We have to pull like that. We know people, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Fitz will be back that night as well. But tonight, Monica Minut. Monica McNutt is a name you cannot say fast. <laughs> I was going to say Spain. This is where I, I get so you. Well. I was I had just said it like seven times in a row so slowly. Monica McNutt. Mm-hmm. And when I try to speed through it, it doesn't work out for me. Uh, but she's here. Tricky. She's here. I'm here. Uh, and now on the Goodyear Hotline, LaChina Robinson's here. LaChina, thanks for coming on. What's up, ladies? Hey, How girl. are you? Well, hey. other than struggling with Monica's name when I try to speed through it, I'm great. Uh, you're... I mean, M.M. Just, M-M. you know, M.M. or M. Mick, maybe? Wait, I'm going to go no, with no. Ms. Okay, Nutt. Ms. Nutt. No, no, oh, no, funny. No, okay, quick, oh, no, quick funny yeah. story. Um, yeah. even our trajectories are all different, but when I was a substitute teacher, that's what my babies called me. They couldn't quite get it out. And I was you just like, it's fine. You were a substitute teacher? Child, it's a whole journey. Anyway, okay. let's try to know. <laughs> I don't have the patience so for that. Even I mean, how adorable is that? Adorable. I mean, I can see Monica being the perfect totally. teacher, like at any level, but definitely little kids, like her energy. Agreed. It's amazing. Agreed. I would get fired day one. <laughs> Uh, the draft is coming up on Thursday night, 7 Eastern on ESPN. You are surely working your butt off, getting all the storylines going. I want to get to the age rules in a little bit, but let's start with what's your focus uh, going into Thursday? A lot of people arguing about the the quality and depth of this particular draft, but what's the biggest storyline for you going into Thursday? Um, The biggest storyline for me is this could be one of the most unpredictable drafts that we've had in recent years. Um, no one really knows what is going to happen. Some of that is because, you know, this is a, a fairly even draft. Like, it's not top-heavy like we've seen in the past where one through six were just going to be that next set of all-stars in the league. Like, there's not a lot of clarity or separation, if you will, uh, around, you know, this year's draft prospects. So anything could really happen. Um, there are teams that don't have any spots to offer but that have draft picks so that will be interesting whether or not people start to move picks around will they get international picks and try to stash them um you know there's just so much unknown which makes it fun for us right because players could move up they could move around um they could be traded during the draft so i think that is the headliner is um it's going to be unpredictable Hmm. Okay, well, if you were predicting, who is the number one overall pick in your mind? I mean, I think a lot of people are projecting Charlie Gallier. Are you on that as well? I mean, for Dallas, absolutely. You know, I mean, they got the one and two picks. So you got two opportunities to get the number one pick right. 
um, they could not be in a better situation. Um, I'm sure a lot of people, when you look back at past drafts, wish they could, um, you know, they come down to usually like two players, like, okay, you know what? Bag both of them. You know, I'm just taking one <laughs> and two. We're going to take both of them home. So they're going to get Charlie Collier. They're going to get a walk toward. Um, and I think they need a rim protector. This was a Dallas team that gave us a ton of points in the paint last year. So um, to have two players that have, first of all, tremendous upside and can really grow with this young team. But wingspan, you know, big pro bodies. Um, you know, a walk has got a little ways to go in terms of her physical development. I think she's 19. Um, Charlie obviously has a, has a pro body already. But, uh, you know, I think a walk could be a special player. She is probably, if you look at, like, upside, overall talent, the fact that she has played against pros, um, you know, her, her entire career overseas, like she's not playing a zone like some of the kids in college in the U.S. Like she's got an advantage in a lot of ways that will help her translate to the WNBA. But you look at her and she's like lanky, got great wingspan, but doesn't quite have that body control. Like if she gets some maturity um, and I think, you know, continues to work on her frame, she could be a, a very special player in, in the league. Yeah, you bring that up as I'm thinking about Charlie Collier, who's built bit built like a brick bleep house, who yes, just looks yes. ready to dominate in the pro game already. Uh, always interesting to see how that body change from the from the amateurs to the pros works out. I saw a tweet, uh, and LaChina Robinson's with us here ahead of the WNBA draft Thursday night, seven Eastern on ESPN, um, from Chantel Jennings of the Athletic. How hard is it to make a WNBA roster this year? 137-ish spots because 60 players are on protected contracts and there will probably be fewer than nine spots. So some first-round picks won't even make rosters. Let's talk expansion, LaChina. Is it already beyond the time that there should be teams added to the mix? Oh, no doubt. Um, You know, we're late on that, uh, but I guess the question is more so could it have happened before now? Um, as we know, the WNBA is a very young league. Um, you know, I think the, the product is better than ever in terms of the play on the court. We're starting to see a lot of growth in the metrics, whether it's be social and ratings. There just seems to be the right time for expansion. But we've probably said that a couple of times over the last 25 years. Right. And it hasn't happened. And you put that on the shoulders of people that have not wanted to invest in women's sports, period, point blank. I mean, all three of us have that conversation, I'm sure, almost every day. Congratulations. Well, to once you, Draymond Sarah. brought it up, I realized I should ask about it. <laughs> I mean, you know, only only because he enlightened us um, he did. did we start talking about it. But, no, in all seriousness, I think there's an interest now. I mean, we've got, what, we'll have three new owners this season. Um, and that's exciting because that means you've got groups of people who are saying, hey, let's let's give this – WNBA thing a try. I mean, we've got a new ownership in Vegas. We've got new in Atlanta. And it sounds like we're getting settled in Minnesota. Um, so, yeah, we need more teams, period, point blank. And, um, you know, Commissioner Engelberg doesn't sound like it's going to happen immediately. And you understand coming off of COVID times, like everybody's kind of got to get their footing. But there's more than enough talent um, to expand this league. Oh, baby. I'm just, I know we are a young league. But I'm excited for the 25th anniversary. Are you in it now? I was about to say. Congratulations. Wait, I'm so sorry. I mean, Chanae's been doing it, but I didn't realize you were also pulling that off. This is a we. This is a we, too. Right. I'm a we when it comes to this. Um, But I think the rollout, all of the 
energy, particularly about going into 25th season, the incredible Jersey rollouts. I mean, at the different little media clips that we're seeing, I'm mm. super excited. But I know I've been tapped with this question a couple times with China, and I want to hear your um, take on it. Who's your dark horse team as it stands now pre-draft? Dark horse team. Okay, so I don't know if everyone is going to let me pass on this being a dark horse team, but I'm going to try it. So if y'all want me to move to option B, I can do that. But I am going with the Minnesota Lynx. Because okay. I don't before I before you say they're not a dark horse, I would say that anyone that is not expected to finish in the top four should be in consideration for a dark horse um, for the dark horse. So I would say Vegas is definitely one of the favorites. Seattle, obviously, Chicago is going to be one of the favorites, and. Hmm. The Mystics, right? Who am I going to go with another one of my... Oh, Washington. Of course. Yeah, that's no what I that. mm-hmm. All right, yeah. so that's your top four. Yeah. So you've got those four, and then I would say Minnesota's in that next group, but I think they really have a chance to be the champion of this season. You know, I, first of all, have a great level of respect for Cheryl Reeve, even though she's not nice to me in in-game um, interviews. <laughs> you know, I've moved beyond that. She's got that coach but, pop um, going. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, I mean, wow. Last season, Crystal Dangerfield, Nafisa Collier, the steps forward that they took in their career, um, especially not having Sylvia Fowles for a great deal of time because she was dealing with an injury. Um, you know, and then look at the move this year. Ariel Powers is a dog. Like, I would want her on my team. If I started the team today, I'm going to be honest with you, like she would be on my roster. And she's probably never been an all-star in WNBA. Not looking, but I'm, I'm pretty sure she has it. But she would be on my roster because she's going to get you extra possession. She's a defender. She's going to offensive rebound. Like she is going to really add to the culture in Minnesota. And that's hard to do because we all know that all they do is yep. win. And then mm-hmm. Kayla McBride, who we haven't gotten to see what Kayla McBride is capable of at the WNBA level because she was playing second fiddle in Vegas to, I don't know, Liz Cambage and Asia Wilson. And sure, we get that. We understand that. But at one point at Notre Dame, she was on the floor with Skylar Diggins. She may have even been on the floor with Devereaux Peters. And I felt like McBride was the best player on the court. And that Mm. says a lot for two players that have, you know, done a lot in, in their career. So, I'm saying Minnesota is my dark horse. I was going to say, like, we would criticize you for that, except for Monica McNutt a couple weeks ago called Maryland a dark horse in the women's NCAA <laughs> tournament. They were oh, the my God. No. Listen, Why I'm just saying. Why do I hang out with you? I don't even understand just, it. You don't get away with stuff like Some that? Hold on. don't know what hold, dark horse means. Hold on. And that's okay. Hold, hold on, China. <laughs> you know not a lot of people were picking Maryland to be, a t- to be the champ. No, like cool. They, you should definitely rewrite the question that was asked okay, of you. In order, I, no. You know what? I'm leaving the show. It's been great. I'm not going to finish because Spain's bullying me. You probably should have put some timing markers in there because yeah. I think Maryland was expected to be the champion or could have been in the championship conversation starting in like mid-February, which is late. Right? Like, so from that standpoint, I can see it. But no, nah, I'm not buying it. That's right. right. Lachina Robinson is on the Goodyear <laughs> hotline with us here on Spain and Fitz. Hey, we're running out of time, but I really wanted to get your opinion real quick on the age rule in the WNBA. I think it's being revisited, especially because of the young stars and Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark. And a lot of conversation around name, image, and likeness. It's a lot easier to prevent players from monetizing at the peak of their of their fame when they can actually make money off of it while still in college. But right now, they're prevented from doing so, and they're prevented from going pro. What do you make of that rule? I'm all for players making money. Like, you're an adult. 
you should be able to monetize your your image, your likeness, your name, whatever it is. Like if you want to go pro because you're ready to make money more than you can maybe make in college, which soon they may be making a little bit more than um, they are now, obviously, depending on name and image and likeness and how that goes. But um, I'm all for that. On the flip side, I love the college game. I think that's what makes women's basketball different from, from men because we get to really watch these women over the course of four years, yeah. you know, grow, um, develop. And the last thing I will say and why I'm probably not in favor of this, if it was looking at the game overall, is that the WNBA is a scary place, okay? <laughs> there are not very many 18, 19-year-olds year coming out of college, playing at least, okay, overseas, I'll give you that because they're playing against other pros. But the college game and WNBA are two different worlds. For like, sure. I could see Paige Beckers going into the WNBA after her freshman season. I, I could see Kaylee Clark making that jump. But they would have to change physically, yeah, um, mentally. I mean, there would be a lot of adjustments. And so do you really want to make that leap to go and kind of get lost for a couple of years while you find your way? Like, we're getting robbed. I, you know, I, why not have them in college and allow them to develop and then they can be at the point where they can go in and possibly start on a WNBA team? Like, what about that? Yeah, for sure. And really quickly, we do this where, like, we have a Paige and a Caitlin, but Paige is one of, like, one to clean up awards the way she has as a freshman. Right. Like, the last person to get the Big East Player of the Year and Rookie of the Year was Maya Moore, just for context. So, if the rule changed to me, I still don't think that this is going to become a popular right. move. And you, you, you would need most players to accept that they're not in a position right. to do so and succeed and make those rosters that we mentioned might only end up being nine spots this year. Uh, we're out of time. LaChina, right. we'll have to have you back, and we're looking forward to all the coverage around the WNBA draft. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you, guys. Hey, Monica McNutt. Monica, Monica McNutt. McNutt. Monica McNutt. There you Monica go. Monica okay. McNutt. Nice and slow. <laughs> Love y'all. Bye, uh, WNBA Draft Thursday night, 7 Eastern on ESPN. Coming up, we will uh, tell you guys who you're casting for the coaches in the NFL. Plus, I've got a story to spring on Monica that she knows nothing about. I can't I'm wait coolest. to hear her response. It's next. <laughs> You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Yeah, we're going to have to start with this story because I'm worried. I'm, I'm amazed that Monica McNutt hasn't heard it yet. Totally and now it. I'm worried that she's going to start Googling. And we need to get to this <laughs> Usher story like right quick. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you as always on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Monica McNutt filling in for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer gives you multiple quote options so you can pick what's right for you. See for yourself at Progressive.com. All right, so I, I said to Monica today, we, you know, we got to talk about this Usher thing. We were going to talk about it last night. We never got to it. And she was like, I didn't see it. I don't know I what's going on. It. Totally. I'm so excited to tell you all about this. All right, also, I'm proud of you because it means that you haven't spent all of your time on social media the last <laughs> two days where the inside jokes have been excellent about this and everybody has been talking about it. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to give you the original story before okay, the update. Please. Okay, So the original story that was taking over social media yesterday after people spotted uh, some, some proof of this was that Usher was accused of making it rain on exotic dancers using fake $120 <gasps> and $100 bills with his face on them. Oh, oh my God. Not his face. Yeah, yeah, Usher Bucks. Usher, Usher Bucks. Bucks. Okay. Yeah, which, of course, had people bringing out the, the, the official currency of Zamunda, right? Wow. Like, uh, yes. Usher handed Love out, it. you know, Akeem's face is on yep. it, just mm-hmm. like him. So a Las Vegas-based dancer who goes by Pisces, Posted a series of photos of bills 
with Usher's face on him to her Instagram stories, writing, ladies, what would you do if you danced all night for Usher? And he threw this. <gasps> now, one of Pisces' friends reposted to her own account and added, my girlfriend posted this. I've never seen this level of bleepery. Exactly why we stay away from celebs most of the time. They suck. Cheap AF. So disrespectful. This is foul. Working hard to get nothing in return. This is a joke. Their job is to entertain. Take your cheap Bleep back home. No word whether Paul Pierce was at any of these parties. <laughs> I ask you before I give you the update, what you make oh of Usher Bucks? What are we doing? Okay, uh, cosign to the whole retweet of the repost. What? Right. He had. He has. To, he had to. I, I mean, he didn't have to, but I'm hoping that there was a plan to pull up, drop off an envelope for real on the backside, and this was a <laughs> PR stunt. Like I'm. I'm so hoping that that's where this is going. First of all, follow-up. Have you ever been somewhere where people made it rain, and did you get the money? Uh, no, and I very quickly ended my rain. It was more like a little sprinkle. It was like, hey, we were here. Take a picture. We cute. Oh, you made and it rain. Then... I've never made it rain, but I was in Vegas for NBA All-Star Weekend back in my early 20s when I was still trying to track down Michael Jordan. So close, very <laughs> okay. near. Ended okay. up being right next door all night in a different establishment after I'd managed to finagle my way right to the table that he was supposed to go to. It was a long story, but the oh, point man. is, we ended up at this club, and all it was it was... The, the night actually, do you remember that, that terrible shooting during the All-Star? I do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that whole group that was at the club we were at went to that strip club where that happened. Um, oh. And thankfully, my friend and I needed to hit up the 24-hour buffet, so we skipped the strip club. But smart, anyway, smart. they yep. made it rain in the club. And I looked down, and I for real was like, it's only fives. I'm not getting down. Like, you're in a dress and heels. Like, you got to give me a high. And I was poor, but I still had some self-respect. And I was like, I'm not bending over for anything less than a 20. That was just that. That's just a rule I have, Monica. Uh, I am I, trying to think, you know, it's not. It's. I think I might have just swiped the five just for the sake of you the want, story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fair point. I, I should have gotten maybe one of them at least to say like that I once. Step on yeah. it with your heel and like describe kind of kick back, grab yeah. it real cute. I mean, it was a long night. I also got kicked out of the club for elbowing a girl. It was more of a judo chop. Why but then do I? I'm so I, not surprised by that, and I love it. But then I did get, they tried to walk me out through the kitchen, and then over the course of that long walk around the back of the French kitchen, fries. I convinced them that I was oh. fine, and they just walked me right back in the front. <laughs> like, they realized that I wasn't drunk or out of control, that she had, in fact, tried to cut in between my friend and I doing that arm thing where you hold each other's hand to try to get yeah. through a crowd. Yeah. And yeah. she pushed, so I judo-chopped, and I was the one who got caught. It's just like sports. It's always the retaliation <laughs> that gets caught. Anyway, the point is that I got walked right back in the club, and everything was fine, but I did not drop it down for a five, which is the lesson of this story. I also Ladies, wanted you to swipe fries in the kitchen, for though, for the show. I didn't. Sure. I didn't, but I should have. Yeah. Okay. All right. We so, had to go to the so, buffet later, so no strip club. Anyway, apparently please, the update, update yes, according please. to Usher, according to TMZ, those close to Usher have disputed the rumors of Usher Bucks. Supposedly, Ugh. it happened at a club called Sapphire in Vegas, where a rep has informed TMZ the singer did not use fake money, paid staff generously. It all erupted because of one of Usher's crew leaving some fake Usher Bucks behind as a joke on a stage to promote his new Vegas residency. He has not set the story straight yet, though. Uh... Don't, I don't like the move by his rep. If this, if this, if we're buying this, right. that's right. This is not a. I don't. First of all, there's this weird connotation with like Vegas reg- residency and like the tail end of your career. So is that what you want? First of all, right? Usher, not, Usher. not great. Right. Well, and like, then he posted great. the briefcase with the pictures of Usher Bucks. So it feels like he's just really spinning this into possibly um, some publicity for the show. I I don't know oh that I like it as good God. publicity. 
But yeah, I, I don't think that, it is. I don't think it yeah, is. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Mm. And I hope that the girls get their their dollar bills, y'all. Like they need. The I agree. Money. Get them some real money. Mm-hmm. It's Spain and Fitz, Monica McNutt filling in. By the way, we asked you guys to cast the coaches uh, from the NFL alongside Sean Payton. Uh, we're going division at a time every day, so I will quickly quickly reel off a couple. Bruce Arians got Bruce Willis, Martin Mull, Nick Nolte, Jeff Bridges, and Leah Delaria. Look up that woman. She looks like Bruce Arians. It's kind of strange. I actually think that's hilarious. I think yeah, I know that it's really good. Uh, Matt Rule, Vincent D'Onofrio, Roy from The Office, Jack Black, Mark Ruffalo, G.W. Bailey, Vince Vaughn, Jack Brayer, and Nick Offerman. And someone said, pay Ralph Macchio to go full method, put on 40 pounds. That's a good one. Arthur Smith got Nick Cage in a fat suit. Brad Garrett and Vladimir Putin. I'm so sorry. Putin, and then wow. a Matt Damon for Sean Payton, which I think I would embrace more than Paul Blart. Mall cop, but that's just me. We'll go through division by division. Monica, thanks for hanging out tonight. It was fun. This was so much fun, Spain, even though you rookie bullied me. It's fine. I really did. You deserved it. Freddie Fitzsimmons coming up next. Thanks for listening. I'm not bending over for anything less than a 20. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.